Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. So today I'm really excited to be talking to someone I met um, ooh, back end of last year. Um, we were in a business networking um, event together on the south coast of England, and uh, Andy ran a presentation skills course which I attended which was really fascinating and um, apart from having a brilliant voice and some, a fund of fast, fantastic stories he's, he's, um, it was a really brilliant training session so I thoroughly enjoyed it and thought because of some of the stories he talked about really fascinating to have him on as a guest really coming from a different perspective and, um, and one of the joyful things about having Andy on today is that he's in England so first of all hello Andy Russell, good afternoon, and thank you very much for the um, amazing opportunity. And what is, let's face it, a bit of a cold, wet, miserable January, isn't it, in the UK? I know. I know. It's, it's a terrible indictment of us Brits that whenever we <laughs> first meet, we <laughs> talk about the weather. But it's, <laughs> it's fact, the last podcast I, I, per, person I interviewed was in California, and she was telling me how hot it was. And I was like, hmm. And <laughs> And they say it's compulsory first conversation, but we're not allowed to talk about Brexit or the royal family. No, no, that's um, <laughs> we're talking about sex and politics now, but none of those. those <laughs> so, so we met quite recently, Andy. So, so um, introduce yourself to our listeners. What, what would you describe um, what you do and a little bit about yourself? Thanks, Russell. Well, I, um, I kind of have two faces in a way. One is, um, and a lot of my recent background is I've, I've worked a lot in the third sector, which is kind of the charity sector in the UK and internationally, kind of helping charities to um, to launch campaigns and appeals. But and the thing that I, and obviously where we met is much is my other face, which is kind of helping people to present and get their propositions across properly, whether that's personal presentations or or actually you know getting a, a corporate proposition pitch across uh, really really effectively and. The reason I've kind of got two faces is, is they're both very, very similar skill sets in that um, when, we're, when we're authentic, when we're honest, when we're, when we're ourselves, whether that's in a, in a corporate environment or in a charity environment or actually, in, I suppose, in real life, um, you know, I, I think that's when effectively, you know, our message comes across in a really powerful way. So I love working both with companies and corporates to look at their kind of either individually to get their or their teams, you know, to, to get the message and the proposition across. But I... My, my real love, if you like, is really helping charities to launch kind of a big appeals and campaigns about a particular cause of value that they're, they're you know, there's a, there's a dire need or, or there's, a, there's a real issue they want to resolve. And it's about t- telling, without the cliche, getting people to really be honest and tell very honest stories. Um, I think we all, because we're so 
marketed at all the time. Yeah. I love helping people to kind of really be themselves, whether that's in the corporate world, the charity world or elsewhere. And is that your sort of definition of authenticity? Because you've mentioned that twice, I think twice now. So authentic, authentic is obviously something that's important. So how would you unpack authenticity? It's, it's a challenge, isn't it? Because I think, I think when we show a little bit of vulnerability um, and in the right way when we're comfortable to do that, whether that's in an audience of 600 people or in a group of 10 people or one-to-one even in a, a meeting, um, I think it, it can resonate in the right way with people because they, they kind of get that, you know what, we're all, we're all facing different battles at different times. It's about having a, an ability to ha- have resilience and learn from everyone's experiences. And, and I think we kind of, we always listen. We always listen to people's stories and their backgrounds and how they've dealt with uh, with issues. Um, and I think the more we can, the more authentic we can be and honest in that. Because I think even uh, you know, even if you do meet the occasional person who you can kind of get that feel. Hang on, they've, they've really fluffed up that story. They've elaborated it a little bit too much. We, we pick up on that as human beings very quickly. So I think a very honest, authentic story where people are. are Sometimes we're even brutally honest, and that's where charity work is so powerful. Um, I think it can it can really resonate with the listener, and and that's interesting, isn't it? Because actually, this idea of storytelling has become one of the big things, isn't it? And I like it in terms of resilience about you know creating a future story for yourself. It, it's because stories don't always have to be about the past, although they tend to be. But it's this idea of creating the narrative around the future and where you're going. And I guess. Fundraising and charitable work is a bit like that, isn't it? It's about it's almost legacy building and the other way around, almost. And and, and so passionate because you know, with a lot of charity, um, a lot of charities, their causes or actually the people that support them. You know, you're not you're not buying a product. It's not like in a commercial world where you're you know you're given you're given a real big chunk of money and you're getting this thing in return. You know, with with especially charity work, and that's why I get so fired up about charity work is that. When people tell their stories very well and their cause very well, individuals, you know, either with significant wealth or, or not, buy into it. And, and what they're buying is a sense of uh, buying into the story, buying into the truth of the story, and then and giving something back. So I sometimes joke with especially charity people that they're in the, you know, they're actually they're not in the fundraising business. They're in the they're in the happiness business. Just stay with me for a minute. What I mean by that is that actually it's, it's emotional. It's absolutely emotional. You're engaging with people. And the best way to do that is not with a, here's our, here's our facts and figures of our annual review of how we're spending your money. It's actually, this is about Tony. It's about Sarah and, and, and really getting into their personal stories. And I think, especially when I'm working with individual corporately to be better presenters, we always have a bit of a magic moment where you suddenly see the mask slip a bit. And the professional, and I, I don't mean this nicely, but the professional corporate face slips a little bit and then the real person comes out. And that's when we all, I think as an audience, we become much more attracted to that individual, to that to that mission, to that cause, because somebody's being very honest. And, and that's interesting, isn't it, in the charitable sector? Because sometimes you get that impression where you're, I suppose when it's maybe the authenticity goes out of kilter, where... You, you you hear the story, but it's almost been spun to tug at your heartstrings, or it's been spun to part you with cash, part you with your cash, as it were. Um, and 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 I suppose there's there's some aspects of that storytelling, emotional connection, which can become too cynical. Is it the authenticity that that manages that? Yeah, and I think a great example um, would be something. That, 
in our last few years actually happened in the UK um, is that you know one of the biggest charities in in the UK, Cancer Research UK. Um, you know they they moved from a lot of their language was about we're fighting the battle that is cancer. Yeah. You know, and it was unfair, and everyone gets that. If you look at their current messaging, their all the brand stuff has gone, all the all the corporate messaging has gone. There's a very raw video of somebody being told in a doctor's surgery, you have cancer. Yes, yes I've seen that. Yeah. And then you then see the other raw video of actually, because of the support people are giving the charity, it means that, you know, the, the, the treatments they're getting, whatever, you see them in real life actually living their life a little bit later. Or you even see the ultimate story where people who have cancer, you know, they're going into the surgery again and being told, actually, well done. Yeah. You know, you're fine. Yeah, you know, you, things are better. And you just see that you see that emotional breakdown. And there's no there's no spin, there's no corporate language. It's real life, mm-hmm. and that's I think that's you know good on them because they've they've really told that human story. And I think we can do that. You know, I know we talk a lot about charities, but I think it, it is a it is a it is a very human behaviour thing, and that's why I love my my two face uh, two faces in the sense that I work you know with charities, but corporately it's exactly the same. Mm-hmm. I think if we're spinning sales, people people know when we're being sold that. Yeah. You know, I want I want to get to know Russell. You know, I don't want to get to know the corporate the corporation. Yeah. Um, and it was something I've just been at an event today, actually, where um, I, I was very inspired by a lady who was speaking. You know, there's a whole sense of being yourself. I think when you know when we met as well, Russell and the other people we had on that day, is that that's my that's my single takeaway of everyone is please please mm. be yourself. But I know that's hard yeah. because you've got to, the mask has to slip a little bit. And, and it's that thing, isn't it, where sometimes you have to be yourself, but you do have to, you've got to be sensitive to other cultures, haven't you? Because because actually, um, when you're working in other people's environments, it's almost like you when you go and visit the fa- another aspect of your family, you've got to be yourself, but sometimes you've got to be a slightly different version of it. But but some kernel of it has to still be true, isn't it? And I, I often think it's a bit like when we're branding, you know, you've got to, and marketing and such like, and selling, in fact, You've got, you've got to, you've got to be yourself, but you've got to be able to manage that because you could be the sort of person who actually, perhaps, we don't want to see their full, their full, their full sense and all their glory. If you know, them. <laughs> <laughs> you want a diminished version of them sometimes. <laughs> yeah, and I, th- and I think as well, you know, but I suppose every day we're, we've got a slightly different set of chemicals running through our head each day that means that we're in a slightly more comfortable place or not to tell our own personal story. I mean, you know, I've in, in my in my past, um, you know, th- there's something very personal about me, actually, which which has also um, it set me up for what I do now. But it's a story I very rarely tell. But because of the context of what we're, we're talking about right now, I mean, I, I feel comfortable, especially having met you, and I know there's probably other people listening, but this feels kind of one-to-one to me. But, um, yeah, there's something very personal in my pain. You know, I, 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 I had, um, and I think I opened up on the course about this because I think, the first thing I love doing is, is telling a very personal story up front, just to just to make people feel more comfortable that we've all got issues. And you know, I, I grew up in um, the north of England, a place called Blackpool. Um, you know, not the not the uh, not the richest part of the country. Um, had a really interesting background in that we were constantly moving around as a family. Uh, my mum was a single parent, didn't really know. Well, I didn't know my dad at all, and. Um, you kind of grew up as a, as a really rebellious little, you know what, in Blackpool as a child and was on the wrong tracks and was going down a really nasty route. Um, 
And and from that, I kind of pulled back into, I joined uh, an organisation called the Sea Cadets, which is kind of, you know, uh, for, for young people, it was kind of a military club, uh, which kind of really indoctrinated me into wanting to join the Royal Navy. And, and then I, I joined the Navy as a young 16 and a half year old, and it kind of changed my life in a way. It gave me discipline, perhaps I'd not had, it gave me a sense of purpose and, and all that. But what is what is extraordinary about that story is that, you know, for 16 years, I was actually living a lie because um, I'm, I'm gay. And when I joined the Navy in 1983, it, it was a criminal offence wow. to, to be in the military. And when I left the Navy in 99, after 16 years of moving up the ranks as junior rating, uh, going to work on different ships around the world and then becoming a commissioned officer, I left in 99 and it was still illegal to be gay. And I had friends who were arrested, yeah. were caught, well, you know, were court-martialed, were, were disciplined out of the Navy, lost their pension. Um, the house was searched, you know, because at that time it was all a threat of blackmail, that you could be blackmailed. Um, and I look back now, and even sometimes when I do tell the story to, to younger people, they kind of look at me going, are you from the Middle Ages? Yeah. <laughs> they go, really? And I think it's and, – and for me, there's that kind of – you know, because my, my mask is slipping as I'm telling you this story because, you know, that, that's, that's a resilience I had to live with for 16 years. It's, it's a story I can't tell every day. Yeah. And it's interesting that today, just because of the session I've had earlier today with um, an amazing event, you know, it just it's given me, it's just empowered me a little bit today to be able to share that with you yeah. and the listeners on the story. Because I think, I, I hope it's coming across as well that, you know, for me, it's a very personal story and it's it's part of who I am. And I'm, and I'm quite proud of that now. I look back, I recently went back to the Naval College at Dartmouth that trains officers. I was asked to go back and give presenting skills to them. Really? And that, I got so much out of that more than they did yeah. <laughs> because I just went back going, you know, a sense of acceptance, a sense of this is fun. Yeah. Of course, everything has changed. Yeah. You know, everything has changed. It's completely, everything's accepted now. But, um, but for yeah. me, it's, it was a very personal story. That's a remarkable story, actually. And thank you for sharing it because we, we have a number of people who come on here and, and, and they talk about it. It's almost a feature of res- resilience in a strange sort of way. This this um, having having a hidden side, a hidden persona. We often find people from the trans- transgendered world who uh, have the same sort of thing. They've lived in the wrong gender for many years. They've lied. Mm-hmm. In a sense, they've attempted to persuade themselves that they are something they're not. And, um, and, and, and of course, you, like you say, it's, it's, I mean, living a lie for 16 years. I mean, and then you're talking about authenticity. That must be really hard to manage when you're looking in the mirror every day and, and you're just pretending. I mean, that was... It must eat away at your soul a little bit. So that's interesting when you said you went back to Dartmouth. So in what way did that feel so positive? What, what was it about that experience? Because it must have taken quite a bit of courage to go back. Oh, you're spot on. You're absolutely spot on. Because actually driving through the gates, I mean, if, for those people who don't know, you know, the Britannia Royal Naval College in Dartmouth is an incredibly beautiful but hugely imposing building that is just on the... Uh, on the hill overlooking the beautiful um, the beautiful estuary of Dartmouth in Devon. And, you know, it is a, it's an iconic building. So driving through those gates with the, you know, the Royal Cipher on the gates, driving up, just going through security. And then, you know, actually, I was, you know, privileged enough, I was staying at the captain's house, which is part of the amazing building there. And, and it was kind of, um, 
a real moment. I think you know a lot, a lot of people must have as alumni going back to university, which I, I never I never went to university in that sense. That was Dartmouth was my university. So going back there and being asked to teach the new naval officers that are coming through, you know, there's a little moment you go, okay, I haven't I haven't done that badly. Um, and that the fact that I, I, as we talked when we, we met at the, on the presentation day, you know, I, I really grabbed them at the start because I rarely tell the story I've just told you, if I'm honest, on stage, because I, I'm always fearful of reaction in a way. Um, but actually, because I thought, Joe, you know, I want to I punch them and then pat them right at the, the first moment that we met. So in the, as I was wheeled in and they saw me as a, a shiny consultant have been, you know, what do I know? Being yeah. told to come in and tell them about presentation skills in the corporate world. And they were like, going, why is this guy, you know, shiny suit? What's all this about? And then actually, I just went, right, you know, 16 years Royal Navy, I've been a rating, I've been an officer, but I was an imposter. And this is why. I mean, I just, you know, I, I kind of, it, it was, it was so, emo- it was emotional for me. It was high risk. Luckily, it, it, it worked brilliantly because I had them for the whole day. Then and they were just so um, you know it, a, a trust a trust developed between all of us and we really opened up mm. and a lot of people you know their anxiety about presenting came out and I think so for me it was a you know, it, was, it was such a rewarding day but also professionally it was rewarding because that they took away I think so much more because actually I opened up a little bit more so you know every day is a school day isn't it I learned quite a lot that day that in in the right moment in the right way if I tell the story I've just told you. Um, it, it, it works, but I, I'm very, I'm always very hesitant, and I think I was, I was honest with you and the other attendees on the, the presentation day. You know, I get very anxious presenting, and it's my job, you know, and I help other people. But I think you have to be. Yeah. I think there's, you, you have to have a bit of anxiety because otherwise it can come across as incredibly arrogant. So I think if I'd waltzed in there at Dartmouth and gone right, look at me and yeah. look how how I was dealt with, and all, you know, it would have been like, oh, get over yourself. So I've, I always kind of live, I suppose I live with that and, and it makes me feel different in different ways every day. So how did you, how did you marshal your own personal resources to conquer that fear? Because there are a lot of people in the world who maybe would have bottled it, would never have tackled it, would have got to those gates, looked at that imposing entrance and just sort of gone, ooh, I've got a bad tummy, I think I should take the day off. So what was it? What was it about yourself that allowed you to, you know, to marshal yourself and, and move forward and actually do do it? Because you took a hell of a risk. So, and it must have been a planned risk because I've met you. I know you plan things. So, how, how did you how did you marshal yourself to actually push through that sort of fury fury bit? I think because there was a real expectation on me. So the the, the guy who, you know, who runs the college now. Um, you know, somebody that I, I joined the Navy with. And he he he's not a close friend, but he's kind of he knows my story to a certain extent. And I think probably there was a bit of him was maybe hoping that I, I might open up in that way. And there was no there was never a guarantee. I've never spoken to him about it at all in the prep or anything. And uh, for me, there was a, I wanted to meet expectations. Yeah. Well, I want, actually, I wanted to do more than that. I wanted to exceed expectations. I wanted to. I wanted them to get a great presentation skills session out of me and give them confidence um, to do that. Uh, but, but also I wanted to kind of show some vulnerability in myself and say to them, mm. it is absolutely fine for you to show controlled vulnerability because it, you know, it makes you a more authentic person when you're presenting. Yeah. So I think 
I, I suppose to, to, there was a there was a determination I had to do it. I had to do it for for my own benefit, but also because I mean it was a client as well. I think if I'd walked away, you know, I was paid to do it, and if I'd walked away from it, I think I would have professionally wouldn't probably done me any any good. So I, I drove through, um, but thank goodness I did. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, but I think it's that part, isn't it, about you have to take risks in life, and you know that you your resilience builds from the risks you take, and you know sometimes you don't know how it's going to turn out, and you don't know what the outcome's going to be, but you can just. But that's what risk management is about, isn't it? It's about facing the future and mitigating what risk you can and having a contingency, but then but then still doing it anyway. And I was interested mm. because you were talking very much about the navy in terms of, um, in a sense, the the the. Um, the sort of challenges of being there, but it does very much train that sort of mental discipline into people. Uh, I think is, mm. is, that, is that fair to say? It is, yeah. And I think you know the, the leadership training I went through there was extraordinary yeah. as, a, as a naval officer. It, you know, it's it, it's it's so intriguing because you know, I'm doing some work at the moment with the Royal Marines. You know, I'm, I'm helping the Royal Marines do better presentations. And you kind of go, what? You know, the Royal Marines, the elite fighting force, you know, um, the commandos, what, you know, they, they must be oozing confidence yeah. Yeah, in who they are. But they're, they're in a very disciplined organisation. There's an expectation on how they perform. They're all individuals. And, and especially if they're, if they're out of uniform or, or in a more commercial civilian environment, they, they've got the same anxieties we do. And that, that's quite reassuring. You know, because because then you see them going. Actually, you know, what what can I tell? What 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 leadership can I give to a to to a group of business people? Well, well, guess what? Your stories and how you developed and how you're as a commando is massively fascinating to people. Yeah. So you know, be it's going back to the be yourself thing. And um, um, I suppose I'm going off tangent a little bit here, but I think it for me it's it it's that it's that ability to have. Uh, a really good leadership training, which allows you then to to be a, to have a comfort blanket around you and expose certain things at, at certain times. Um, and so, I think you know, I wouldn't, for instance, I will never tell the story I've just told you on this podcast. I will never tell this story to the Royal Marine audience. No, um, because talk about risk management. You know that they there would be a. I mean, they're obviously a diverse society, but. But you know that is high risk for me to tell that story because assumptions are made, and uh, and also people then go, well, hang on, he was he was living a lie yeah. for sixteen years in a military environment. That's how truthful can that be? So yeah. there's a different a different viewpoint. So I'd never tell that story there. It's sort, but, of, it's um, sort, of, it's sort of situational authenticity in a way, isn't it? Yes. Um, yeah. But but then that's that bit about it's that thing, isn't it? Um, so you've got the thing in rugby at the moment where you've got someone who's openly gay. You've got female women's football where people are openly gay. And you've got men's football where nobody, no man in the whole <laughs> of men's professional football is gay. And so you're right, you have to, you, because actually you have to be careful because the first duty you have is not necessarily to be a role model. It's to yourself, isn't it? You have to look after mm. yourself first. And if you're working in a, in a world or a culture where that's, you know, that's, personally dangerous why why would you expose yourself where why would you make yourself vulnerable to that level mm, mm. it sort of makes no sense so so that's a very interesting message where it's you know it's okay having a story but it's where you tell it or how you tell it yes it's the yeah. piece isn't it and and i think that that um i want to say to conform 
you know, so I think, you know, I was conforming, I was in the Navy, I conform when I go to certain presentations and I, and I meet expectation where I don't tell that story. And, and it's taken me years to get to the point where I can, you know, I'm having this conversation with you now, if I'm honest, because it's it's not something I can do every day. Um, and it's less about me. It's more about uh, uh, how do I conform to what, as I perceive, as society's rules at the right time, at the right place. And that's more about my anxiety and my hang-ups than any audience. Yeah. Um, so I think it's something you know, yeah we we just learn every day, don't we? And I say I've just I'm, you're getting you're getting this version of me today just because I've been through a really inspiring session yeah. uh, this morning and it's kind of you know it's really kind of empowered me and that's what I love work how I love working with people to try and do the same. I try and get people to be more honest, um, more open about their anxieties about presenting and speaking, and then really wanting to empower them to really be more personal yes. uh, when they present and be less of the corporate machine. Yes. That's interesting. So how on earth did you move from being in the, in the Navy to the fundraising world that I get, understand that, but how on earth did you get from fundraising into training people to do presentations? Well, was that was a plan or was there something that just happened? Absolutely accidental, like all the best things in life, really. So I'd, I'd uh, had amazing 16 years in the Navy and, you know, I've got absolutely no regrets. I had an amazing time. Um, did everything I wanted to do in the Navy. Uh, knew that if I was going to do another career, that was the right time to go. So I, I um, left the Navy. And as I was leaving, uh, an opportunity came up to help train the lifeboat crews uh, of the Royal National Lifeboat Institution, which is the, the organisation. It's a charity in the UK that operates all our rescue craft around the coast, you know, with I think it's 400-something lifeboat stations, yeah. lifeguards and, and everything. And, um, you know, not government-funded. Um, and I, I went into a role there to help train the lifeboat crew. So these are volunteers who have normal day jobs. Um, and then if the lifeboat is needed, if there's an emergency and the lifeboat's needed, they have a pay, they carry a pager with them. The pager goes off. They drop everything at work, at home, go out to these lifeboat stations, go out. So these are individuals who, you know, very few of them have had any kind of maritime experience and they're willing to get out in lifeboats and go out in horrendous conditions risking their life for complete strangers so i was i was honored to kind of get that role where i was, I was training lifeboat crews i was looking after all the lifeboat stations in the southwest of england which is you know it's a beautiful part of the world you never put a lifeboat station at an ugly location they're always on beautiful headlands you know amazing like so i was very fortunate and while i was there um the director of fundraising at the charity saw me speak at a conference about the importance of crew training and went you've just given us our new appeal and we're going to run the biggest appeal we've ever done, which at the time was £10 million and it was for crew training. And you're going to lead the campaign. I was like, what? <laughs> I'm not a fundraiser. You know, what are you talking about? He went, no, but you can inspire people. Um, and I just, I always felt very genuinely humbled by that. So I moved from operations into, into that side of it. But interesting, especially for your um, US listeners, I mean, I spent some time operationally actually with the United States Coast Guard when I was with the Royal National Life. I spent two years in America at Yorktown. And um, I love the fact that they they kind of said, right, well, we've got a Brit coming over as our charity ambassador. And we're going to put them at Yorktown, which is the one place where, of course, of course. good old Brits, we had to surrender. So, yeah. we, so we had we had great banter. I had two years going around, going around the United States with the US Coast Guard team teaching people lifeboat skills, which was, you know, an amazing experience for me. And, and I think coming back to then going to fundraising, we then ran this appeal. It was highly successful 
uh, not down to me, but down to an amazing team of fundraisers behind me. You know, hit target two years early, finally raised over 17 million. Um, and then I kind of moved into more of a presentation role at online to actually just go out and inspire supporters and, and major donors with what the course was about. And then quickly switched over to uh, left the online and then went to work for an age, uh, a consultancy in London, um, some brilliant people who are great at storytelling, and then moved on to other charities uh, in that. So my kind of, you know, my second career has been charity. And from that, my third career now is this presentation uh, presentation consultancy because it because it brings out uh, it brings out the best of what I've done in the navy. I think it brings out the best of what I've done in, in the charity world, and and I now get the chance to kind of I'm in that middle of the three circles. You know, it's, it's, I'm extremely passionate about it. It luckily pays the bills, and and I'm giving something back. Well, and, and that's interesting because a lot of people. Um, hear some of the talk of these motivational speakers who are saying you need to have a goal, you need to have a plan, you need to map your life out, blah, 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 blah. But what you're demonstrating is that you can find your passion in what you're doing. You don't have to go out, you don't have to invent it by inventing what the passion is and then going out and finding it. And I think that's quite interesting, isn't it? Because, um, you know, luck and conf the confluence of events is actually just coming from what you're good at being applied into a different area, isn't it? It's, it's an interesting way for people to think about mm. and create a, a career direction for themselves just by saying, what do I like doing is exactly what you said. What am I passionate about? What pays the bills? It's that transferable skills sort of idea. And you find mm -hmm. and how you do what you do, I suppose. Is, is that where, is, is that, was that been your approach or, or, or a very, that? no, it absolutely has. And I think, um, I think firstly, my, my passion, without doubt, is is you know, is presenting and helping people to be better presenters. I love that, and then from that it becomes you know it's the money stuff. Yeah. So it helps them. It helps charities, corporations, whatever to obviously raise more funds as required. Um, but what, what I suppose the background thing that's helped me, and it's interesting that question you asked about goals, is that, and it feels like this is turning into a navy podcast because actually, what the, the, the ironic thing in that is in the navy. Every two years, you move. You move as an individual from a ship to another ship or a shore base, whatever. And every two years, you change roles. You change into a new job yes. where you're expecting, you know, you go on training courses, but you've got a whole new set of skills. But probably the most interesting thing is you move as an individual. So you don't move as a group of people who you've got to know. Every two years, you're moving into a new role with new people in a new environment, and you have to develop and adapt your skills. And that's carried over. That has carried over since I've left the Navy. Every two years, I get a bit of an itch, yeah. and I go, actually, what am I? Well, you know, what's my next slight challenge? So I don't have a five-year plan. I don't have a ten-year plan. I have a two-year plan. Yeah. And every two years, I'm kind of I just look again and just see actually what's the opportunity here yeah. for me to do something new. What's the thing that would continually stretch me? And the one thing I I am grateful for the Navy for giving me is is bold ambition. Yeah. So it, you know you're always on the you're always looking for the next slot, and and that that's that's something I've I've carried forward into civilian life is I'm always looking for that next opportunity. That's interesting, isn't it? I'm just I'm just sort of pondering that because it, it's it's quite a refreshing way of thinking about it. I mean, I often work in large corporates with people who've sort of been in the same company for 17 years and they say that oh, how many years it might be, and they say things like oh well it's um you know we're, we've grown and grown and grown and grown. And then, and then, when you start chatting to them about their careers, the world, the word that comes out more, more than more than often is stale. Mm. And actually, mm. that two-year 
or, or that two-year mindset is actually quite an interesting way of thinking about it. I mean, there's a sort of hockey stick approach in sales where you say you arrive and then you everything goes, you know, falls apart, and then <laughs> and then by the end of the second year you leave on the on, on the top of the top of the peak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but 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 I like that idea because I think that's that that's that thing about keeping your eye on the marketplace, keeping yourself marketable, keeping yourself um, nimble. And that's mm. really having a sense of purpose or a sense of um, uh, market awareness is actually part of resilience. So you're not ever becoming a victim because you're really master- you're actually just giving yourself a new set of uh, control and choices every two years, aren't you? I, I mean, it's really yes, fun. yeah, yeah. And I think, as you say, sales. It's, it's the same going back to charities. I mean, you know, within the charity world, the thing that really is in the middle of all my three circles is appeals. So I love working with charities to help develop, establish, launch, um, and see through to conclusion appeals. And as we're talking, I've, I've just realised they tend to that tends to be a two-year program. Yeah. In that I'll, I'll go in with a client. You know, I'm working with somebody right now. It's taken six months to nail what's going to be a highly emotional appeal that's going to publicly launch in September for a really big charity in the country. And it's I'm on a journey with them. You know, we're, we're privately launching to some select people next month. Um, we're publicly launching in September, and I'll get them to a place where uh, they'll be absolutely fine. But within two years, um, I'll, I'll, they, they probably won't need me. Thank goodness they won't need me. Yeah. Um, and I'll move on to somebody else, you know. So it is a, it's, it's funny as we're talking. It, it has just made me realize that that two-year thing actually probably worked with, with my clients as well. It's a very healthy thing, isn't it? Because I do meet consultants and um, who, who so basically once they get the claws into a client, they sort of milk them forever. And I, mm-hmm. I've always had that same belief that actually you need to you need to have the ability to yeah you need to know that you're going to say goodbye, so you transfer your skills. You, then you don't get bored of each other, or sick of each other, or stale with each other. So, but the question obviously begs itself to be asked, which is how many years have you been doing what you've been doing? Now, this last mm-hmm. bit, because if it's if it's obviously an iteration of two of some form of two years, is it? it it's, it's, there you go. So five years I've been ah. uh, as the inspiration bureau. Five years now I've been running as as the presentation face. Um, Twenty years still going in the charity sector. Yeah, uh, very much, and I, I kind of sixteen years. So it's got to be an even number, hasn't it? So. It has. <laughs> Next year, going. 2020, <laughs> my goodness, six years. <laughs> it's a good one. But I kind of, yeah, so I say the charity stuff, you know, 20 years now I've been with the charity sector and, and long may that continue. Um, five years now as a more corporate presentation consultant. And, and you know, that's where I say my passion has really grown now. And um, and, and then the military kind of, you know, in the, in, in the past. Um, so I think it's it's what's next? I'm, I'm again. Today's been quite an inspiring day for me, ironically, from the Inspiration Bureau. But um, and for me, it's given me a, a sense of I'm on the right track. I'm on the right track. To stop beating myself up. And um, my, my my slogan for this year, as we you know we have New Year's resolutions, don't we? But I've said you know, that, oh, it's not going to be a resolution. It's it's a mission for me. Is not to sweat the small stuff. Is to really kind of enjoy the, enjoy what I'm I'm doing um, as long as uh, you know my clients are happy as well and I'm, um, I'm I'm giving something back and and I get so much and that's why I'm so focused on charity work still is that I get so much back from those charity works you know I'm just about to finish with a client I've been with them funny old thing two years the, the appeal comes to an end on the first of April they 
just blown the target out of the water this week. And that's a brand new air ambulance helicopter coming to Cornwall. And that will be emotional. First of all, first of all we're all going down there. And that was a, an, an extraordinary journey uh, with them. And I just want, I'm looking for the next emotive appeal. I've got a couple of things in the pipeline now, but I'm always looking for the next one. And, and say, on the, on the more corporate side, really helping people to yeah. kind of grow their skills. Yeah. Interesting. I must talk to you about a charity that I'm involved in. You see, now this is all about connections and links. That just <laughs> all my all my lights are going off. So, um, Andy, it's fascinating talking to you. But if people want to get hold of you and have a look at what you do, and maybe talk about fundraising and presentation skills, because I can attest to your course itself, and I'm someone that does a lot of professional presentations and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it, and learned a lot. And it was only a taster as well, the thing that you and I were on. So um, how can people get hold of you? Where can people find well, you in the world? Well, best of course, thank you, is, is good old LinkedIn. So I'm on LinkedIn as um, Andy Taylor White, T-A-Y-L-O-R hyphen W-H-Y-T-E. Um, and also at the Inspiration Bureau, it's just the um, inspirationbureau.co.uk. Um, and, oh, yeah, just let, me, let me leap in there. It's not the Inspiration mm. Bureau. It's inspirationbureau.co.uk, isn't it? It is, yeah, the website, yes. Yeah. Good, good call, good call, thank you. Um, but I think, you know, LinkedIn's, um, I'm, I'm, that's my platform of choice Yeah. Um, for the next two years. <laughs> that's my platform of choice. I'm really enjoying it, actually, on that. I think, um, you know, we, we, we can do stuff across multi-channels, don't we? But I'm, I'm, I'm getting lots of conversations, lots of engagement, and uh, a really big audience on, on LinkedIn. So Andy Taylor-White, Inspiration Bureau, uh, happy to chat there. Or say the website is inspirationbureau.co.uk. Fantastic. Uh, wow. Well, thank you for spending time with us today. And thanks for that, that story. It was amazing. And I think what you've, you've highlighted for, for me is that I'm, I'm, I've always found the storytelling thing difficult. I find it hard to listen to and I find it hard to tell. But actually, you are absolutely right. You, you've sort of nailed for me that if you want people to see behind the persona, you do have to give something of yourself, don't you? And actually, that's how you build trust and rapport. And, and that's the only way to be authentic, isn't it? And yeah, and honest. And I think we're we're all so intelligent that we pick up if someone's trying to fluff that, yeah. you know, and trying to really be an imposter, be a, not imposter syndrome, but genuinely be an imposter. I think people work that out if it's if it's not truthful. Yeah. So um, you know, we uh, yeah, the more truthful the story, always a better engagement. Yeah. Well, thank you for spending time with us today. Um, yeah, we've had all sorts of IT issues thrown our way, but you've been extremely um, generous with your time. I really do thank you for spending um, time and talk to you about your journey and what other people can perhaps pick up from you today. So thanks so much. No, thank you very much. I really appreciate the, uh, the opportunity. All the very best. Well, Andrew, you take care. Bye. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed. And if you're in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.